Hello, welcome to Seeing Saw, the official Spiral podcast. I'm Catherine Bray, film critic and enormous Saw fan, and trapped on the tracks of the Metro with our tongues firmly pinioned in a vice, with me are... Anna Bogutska, I'm a writer, occasional film critic, co-founder of the feminist horror film collective The Final Girls, and Jigsaw Mourner. Charlie Shackleton, documentary filmmaker, sometime film critic, and film scholar dedicated solely to studying the great text that is Saw 4. And after endlessly watching and re-watching the Saw series, desperately trawling every nook and cranny of the Saw wiki, shout out to the Saw wiki, we love you, talking to writers, producers and directors of the series and analysing every film in detail over eight episodes, we've finally arrived at Spiral. So for this episode, it is a whole new game. Professor Shackleton, stand down your regular synopsis. Anna, there's no underdog in the trap race you need to defend. We are keeping quiet about everything that happens in Spiral. So there's no spoilers in this episode at all, promise you. But there are some very special guests. But before we talk to our very, very, very special guests, what can we say? Spiral. We've got Chris Rock. Chris Rock, who's the driving force of Spiral, which is my favorite fact about this revival of the Saw franchise. The fact that Chris Rock, who I've always loved as a comedian, turns out to be a Saw fan. It's the greatest reveal, the greatest twist. It's the greatest twist of the entire franchise. I cannot get over it. (laughs) The pig head is pulled off and who's there but beloved comedian Chris Rock. We also, with this entry in the franchise, finally have it confirmed that there is a so-called Book of Saw. Did you write it? It had always been my suspicion that these stories were coming from some sort of ancient tome. (laughs) And now we have that. That's canonical. I don't know. I mean, if I'm not a big fan of reading, can I get the audio book of Saw? Is that available? No, it's not so. (laughs) What do you think we've been doing for the last four weeks? We've been creating the audio book of Saw. And Darren Lynn Bowsman is back. That's also extremely exciting. Director of Saws 2, 3, 4 and now Spiral. He's he's your mate, Charlie, isn't he? You interviewed him. We are Bezies, yeah. And he is perhaps my favourite Saw director from all of the previous entries, being responsible for 2, 3 and 4. Is he the greatest sorter? Because I think if you do Spiral and 2, 3 and 4, you've got quite a good claim to fame. I mean, Hackle, he's done 5 and also production designed almost all of them. And then Kevin Groter, I think, also absolutely strong claim to the crown there, having edited almost all of them and then directed two of them. I think Bousman, he, uh, sorry, Darren to me. uh, (laughs) I think what's interesting about him is he spans the different eras of Saw. So he was obviously did two and three, which very much kind of established the form. And they're all about the characters and the emotional arcs of the films. He also did four, which for me is the definitive, incredibly lore-heavy saw that sort of set the mould for those later films, which are also labyrinthine and overlapping. And of course now, yeah, many, many years on, he's back and there's a whole new saw. Anna, would you also go to bat for Darren Lynn Bowsman as the number one in the Saw-niverse in terms of authoring all of this? Or, I mean, you spoke with Lee Whannell. Not to throw a spanner in the works, <laughs> but I am a hardcore 
James Wan and Lee Wanell girl. I think they're the sortors in my book. Mainly, I know I actually really agree with Wanell when he speaks about separating the first Saw film from the rest of the franchise. But it's that original idea. It's that nugget. Like they set the scene, they created the blueprint, and then everyone else expanded and built on it. Basically like that equivalent of the giant uh, jigsaw <laughs> construction. <laughs> or Yeah, and I guess Billy as well. That's James Wan built Billy in his bedroom and Billy's the icon of the series. I think there's a strong yeah, case the, there. They're the architects of um, the Soniverse. I mean, I would say Mark Berg and Oren Kulas, they have produced all of the Saw movies for 17 years, mm. so another strong... The keepers of the book. The keepers <laughs> the of the keepers book, the Crypt the Keepers, book. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that the Saw franchise really, as we've been speaking about the lore and how it looks and what effects it's had on the plotting and also on other horror films of that time, you can really see how everyone's collaborated to build into something much, much bigger than one specific thing or even one specific character. This whole Saw franchise, and it's interesting within the context of Spiral coming out now, that it does involve everyone working in their horror magic into it, be that the editing, which was so influential as well, or the look and feel of it, or the figure of Jigsaw as the main antagonist and the main villain, the images of horror, like how they portray torture and the traps and all of that, the logic of it, the insanely detailed plotting, all of that, it doesn't come from one single auteur, I think, or one single person. It's the combination of a lot of people's different involvements and expertise and talents bleeding into it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like you say, it's been 17 years. That's, I think, a moment, please, to recognise that's a hell of a long time to yeah. be keeping a mythology as consistent and tight as the Saw mythology has been kept. Think and- how waxy that foot would be by now. <laughs> would it be a little a little bone by now? I Not think, even yeah, waxy. Dust. I think it'd be dust. Yeah. Waxy dust. A little mummy foot. And um, Anna, in your opinion as someone who obviously heads up the horror collective Final Girls, which I'd urge you all to check out, how has horror changed over that past 17 years for you in a broader sense? Honestly, in looking back at the past 17 years, horror is now living through a moment of recognition by, quote unquote, the art house authorities or the gatekeepers of the film industry. It really has risen to a point where now it's winning Oscars, winning awards, breaking through into the mainstream and being recognized um, on a totally different platform outside of the horror community. But tracking that back to Saw, I think Millennium Horror gets a really bad rap that's undeserved because it's actually fundamentally super interesting. And Saw is a perfect example of the sort of thing that maybe unknowingly captured the public's imagination in a really, really big, bad way. And it's interesting that a lot of people peg it as torture porn. But if you look at it, torture porn was always a lot more about the aesthetic as opposed to the content, because as we've discussed in the first episode, the first Saw film, which came out in in 2004, does not actually have that much torture in it, but it did set the blueprint for a certain look and feel. And all of the films that came out 
immediately after that, like the Hostel franchise, House of Wax, The Devil's Rejects, Wolf Creek, The Descent, all the way down to The Human Centipede, <laughs> which came out in 2009, a way back. But they all get lumped in together. But let's think about the context in which these films came out, right? It was also an era of extreme political turbulence where people were concerned with inhumane treatment of prisoners in places like Guantanamo. So it's not completely out of the realm of understanding that filmmakers and horror filmmakers in particular were also using that to put that on screen. But there was also a big moment of international horror thriving, both Japanese horror and J-horror becoming much more well-known in the Western world through remake culture. And specifically, this started with Gore Verbinski's The Ring remake of Ringo. But then there's also an influx of extreme horror from Europe, a foreign language horror that was also influencing each other. So you have Saw as the pinnacle of horror franchises that's going all the way through the 2000s and through the late 2000s. And at the same time, you have this rise of very, very graphic, gory films that are coming from France, that are coming from Japan, that are coming from countries that wouldn't usually export their films into the mainstream. And a lot of those are getting attention because of the American language remakes. But what's another interesting thing is I think Saw was instrumental in igniting online horror fandom to the degree of getting extremely nitty-gritty about the plotting, about the characters, about the interconnectivity of all the films. There's, because of the extreme gore of the films, of the horror films of the 2000s, and of people coming of age in the era of the internet, there's a lot of a culture of reading synopses on wikis and reading about horror films as opposed to actually watching them first. So you create a blueprint in your mind of what the gore would look like without actually watching it, which I think is really telling of the way that we remember the first Saw film. We remember a lot of gore, but actually when you watch it, it's not that gory. At the same time, all of that came around the time when the old school horror was dying out, like the waning of the teen horror franchises of the 90s. So when you think about all of the new, brand new, original horror films and franchises that were starting in the 2000s, Saw being the most important one of them, it's all aimed at adults which is one of the interesting things about this era. It's not strictly going into that slasher teenagers and hot young girls being murdered and chased around suburban neighborhoods. It's very cynical. It's very cynical. It's very grimy and bleak. And although it doesn't have as overt political messaging as some of the, the horror of the late 2000s will have, it still is there and it's still very visibly influenced by political and news imagery of torture and of violence. And it's translating that into genre as well. So Saw, alongside I'd argue the influx and the export of foreign language horror in the mid-2000s created an extremely gore-focused era for horror filmmaking. And the challenge of those films was never really to scare. It was always to gross out and to push extremes. Who can make the most extreme, the most unlikely but very realistic looking death? So I'd say that all of this cynicism, distrust of authority, combined with the advanced special effects and the sleek, shiny, tank top clad celebrity culture of the mid-2000s gave us this blend of very glossy violence and very 
gory scenes that set everything up for horror becoming the most important genre in filmmaking in the late 2000s. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting in terms of what you're tracking there from the beginning of Saw through to where horror is now with your Ari Asters that Darren Limbausman, he talked to you about that, Charlie, and having to create with Spiral something that would both sit in this moment and be true to the roots of the Saw franchise. And I know we said that we're not going to spoil Spiral, but I think we would kind of miss it if we didn't get one of your classic recaps in. So I was wondering, Charlie, if we could challenge you to recap the franchise as a whole. So spoiling nothing from Spiral, but can you condense the Saw franchise down into a minute? Two minutes? You're giving me leeway already. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we'll do a quick little potted recap of all of the events that we've covered in the, the previous eight episodes. Just to, you know, give people a good footing. So, an aging man with a soul patch named John Kramer goes in for a brain x-ray, but has his results mixed up with those of another man, delaying his diagnosis of a frontal lobe tumour. The trauma of this, combined with an earlier miscarriage suffered by his wife Jill Tuck, and his subsequent denial of insurance coverage for an experimental Norwegian gene therapy, leads him to attempt suicide by driving off a cliff. Having survived, he decides to teach others the value of their own lives by placing them in excruciating torture traps and is soon dubbed by the media the Jigsaw Killer. With a bevy of assistants by his side, there's medical examiner Logan Nelson, detective Mark Hoffman, recovering addict Amanda Young, oncologist Dr. Lawrence Gordon, and the aforementioned Jill Tuck, his ex-wife. He built an untold number of traps, beginning with a rickety old chair with some knives taped to it, and then moving swiftly on to quite an immensely elaborate multimedia experience in the old Tuck family pig farm before progressing on to the rest of the traps that we know and love, as well as one inadvisable foray into a children's television gunging with the unfortunately universally derided pig vat. (laughs) The authorities, meanwhile, mount a lengthy, evolving investigation into the case, led by various departments and warring agencies. Several officers become, quote, obsessed, we're told, with Jigsaw in a vaguely defined sense and or the subject of one of his traps. And even after Jigsaw dies in a trap at the hands of a vengeful man named Jeff, they remain one step behind the dead man and his increasingly labyrinthine series of secreted tapes and envelopes. The whole affair spins into a kind of turf war between the surviving Jigsaw assistants who begin to off one another with startling regularity. Jill Tuck and Detective Mark Hoffman take turns putting each other into a reverse bear trap built some years earlier by their mentor until Jill eventually gets her head ripped open in a gruesome manner and he is subsequently killed by Dr. Lawrence Gordon, leaving the mild-mannered oncologist the last man standing. Thank you. There's so much we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about Jigsaw's time building low-income housing. (laughs) I would like to pitch the Thorpe Park Riders canon. Um, (laughs) And I would also like to pitch a breakaway episode of the podcast where we go to Thorpe Park. I mean, that was my one thing that I asked for before we decided to do this. Can we go to Thorpe Park? (laughs) I want to go to Thorpe Park. I want to go on the Saw ride. (laughs) So this is the Spiral episode of Spiral, the official Saw podcast. So I think we'd better get on to our special guests. Anna, you were lucky enough to chat with Max Minghella. That's so exciting. 
I was. I I'm not gonna lie. I kept thinking about how I first saw him in Art School Confidential, which I'm not sure if anyone remembers. But Is that, that Terry's Wagoff movie? Yes. Yeah, Ghost yeah, World. About a serial killer in an art school. Beautiful. He is a wonderful actor, super eloquent about his work as well. It was really, really fun talking to him. I loved him in The Social Network. It's a smaller role than obviously playing Mark Zuckerberg, the Jesse Eisenberg, but pivotal, trying to sue him. I think he's a real standout. Oh, he's so great at being a privileged, annoying jerk in that film. But <laughs> in, in the this, film. In the film. It's a completely different role for him in Spiral. He is the earnest, not rookie, but early career detective who is very much in awe of Chris Rock's detective. And he's so earnestly trying to prove his worth to Detective Banks. Amazing. Let's take a listen to it, Anna and Max Minghella. So, Max, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time for the podcast. I'm going to try to not fangle too much about Saw, but I wanted to dig in a bit into your own relationship with the franchise and with horror in general. Are you a horror fan yourself? I'm definitely a horror fan, for sure. I'd seen the first two Saw movies before becoming involved in this project. But the experience of making these movies is so familial. It is such a community of people who've made these movies now for almost 20 years together and they're so indebted to the fans of the franchise and they care so much about the fans of the franchise that I made sure to go back and watch all the movies before we started because I wanted to be as educated as I could before we we dove in. And what were your impressions going into the Saw movies with now such a a huge franchise of them and, and such a massive fan base as well? Well, I love the fact that it has this kind of formula to it, right? There's certain staples of a Saw movie that you have to have. And then it's exciting to subvert certain things within that or play against expectations. It's sort of like a Bond movie in that way, right? There's certain things you have to do in a Bond movie. It's the same with these movies. And I really just thought it was a very unique and exciting way into the franchise. So what do you think makes a Saw movie? What are those Saw staples? We've got to have traps, right? That's the first and the foremost. <laughs> yeah. The killer normally has a moral argument, right? Which is what I think is actually the greatest lineage of these movies is they have these this is very complex villains who have something going on. The movies aren't stupid. They're normally exploring pretty big questions. And then they also have a very unique editing style. I don't think I've seen other movies that look and feel the way that the Saw movies do. They kind of move at this sort of hyper-accelerated pace and they almost play with the continuity of time, even within a scene sometimes. And it has a great theme song. That's essential. I really, that's the <laughs> bit I always look forward to the most is when the, the theme song comes on. And you mentioned the fans of the franchise and feeling indebted to them. How do you feel about coming into a world, a cinematic universe that has such a hardcore, dedicated fan base? You try not to think about those things too much. Um, <laughs> I think that what was really cleverly balanced with this film is that you have Mark and Oren and Darren and you know Josh and Pete who are all old guard, right? And then you've got Chris and Sam and myself coming in who are completely fresh to this. And we're all very curious and interested filmmakers ourselves, so we have a lot of opinions. And I think that collaboration of something very new and then classical at the same time is made for this very 
exciting final product. And can you talk a little bit more about that process, that collaboration with Chris and with Sam on, especially, I guess, with Chris, because both of your characters are both butting heads and are the central relationship of Spiral in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, it's a joy to work with somebody that talented and experienced and also he's a great director in his own right. He's a great writer in his own right, great producer in his own right. He kind of understands all of the different elements of what we're trying to do here. So I felt very safe with him. He was incredibly supportive. I mean, that's the, the word I keep thinking of when I think of the experience of working with Chris is he was extremely supportive. And it felt like there was a safety net there. So I, I felt quite relaxed, honestly, on the set. It's the hardest I've ever worked on anything by a mile in terms of preparation. But mm. once we were rolling, I always felt like there was a lot of room to experiment and play off each other. And how was it the hardest thing that you've ever worked on? What was the sort of preparation that you had to do for Spiral? It's a complicated character and you want to do its service. And again, I care so much about this franchise and, and the fans and its lineage. And you want to take that stuff seriously. I didn't want to come underprepared. So I, I really wanted to just make sure with this movie that I'd done my homework properly. And what it does is it allows you then to go and have fun. And I wanted mm. to have fun on this movie too, because in many ways it's like a childhood dream come true to be in a movie in this kind of genre in this space. Mm. And one of the things that you mentioned that kind of makes a Saw movie a Saw movie are these exquisite, elaborate traps, right? So what were some of the, the funnest elements of actually being in one of those stories on those sets, seeing that in up close? Well, trap day is like a whole thing on set. Everyone comes dressed in their sharpest suits and uh, the complex, the designs of these things, they really are. And the subway mm. trap is my favorite trap in any Saw movie and was a beautiful set. And it was really fun to be there for that. Just a very kind of cinematic environment, even off camera. And such a fun setup for a trap. So I'm hoping that translates mm. for audiences. And one of my favorite things about watching the Saw films and one of the things I, I reckon fans also really love about the franchise is are the twists. Has it been really hard for you to keep some of the twists and spiral away from the fans before they get to see the movie? No. I mean, that's the fun of it, right? I've never felt tempted to talk too much about what happens in it. And I think also with this movie, I don't know if people quite know what to expect. They've done an amazing job, I think, of showing some stuff, but also really keeping a lot of stuff close to their chest. So I think we're all just really excited for it to finally be out there. And again, I keep repeating myself, but the movie really is made for the fans and the people who kind of follow these films. So those are the people we care about the most. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to touch a little bit on how you see it sitting, because I think that it really works both as a horror movie and also as a detective story. So how do you see navigating both of those genres? There was something, even when I just heard about the project initially and I heard it was Chris coming into this space, I thought that that was already like one of those great concepts. And then when I finally read the script mm -hmm. and saw, like you said, that it has one foot very firmly planted in a genre of movies that I really grew up with. I watched Beverly Hills Cop probably 800 times before, <laughs> before I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And it's very much in my consciousness, that language of those films. And I thought this found like a really nice balance. And actually, it really makes a lot of sense for Saw. If you think about the framework of it, they are serial killer stories, right? So it was a natural, I think, mm -hmm. marriage between a kind of a buddy cop movie and 
the traps and the gimmicks of Saw that we know and love. And I have to ask you, because you're a filmmaker in your own right, by kind of working in a different territory, is there anything that you took from the process of making Spiral that you think you'll take into your own filmmaking? There's a boldness, I would say, to the actual production of these movies. They really just go for it. And I don't want to say too much because I'll give stuff away, but I think there was something exciting about the energy on set and the momentum of the project and how fast they put these films together. It's, a, it's bold. <laughs> but it kind of ultimately works, and I think it kind of leads to some exciting creativity. And I think, I guess, my biggest lesson is just do it. If there's something you want to do and there's a plausible mm -hmm. way of getting it produced, just go for it. It'll work out. It'll be okay. And I have to ask you, have you been on the Saw ride in Thought Park? I haven't, but it's so funny you said that because I was just asking if I can go at some point as part of promotion of this movie. <laughs> can you figure out a way to get me over there? I'd love to do that. It'd be so fun. That's the first thing I asked as well. <laughs> okay, good. We're in the same boat. I'm just on to make this podcast just so I can go on the Saw ride. That's, exactly, that's the whole thing. Exactly. I get it. That's the only reason I did the movie. <laughs> Another vote for the Thought Park ride. It has to happen. Max Wingella has said it has to happen. Regardless of whether it happens on this podcast, one of the first things I'm going to do when we get out of lockdown is go to Thought Park and go on the Saw <laughs> roller coaster. I'm not going to say that I asked that question in order to get us to go on the Thought Park Saw ride, but I'm also not not going to say that. <laughs> Catherine, who did you speak to? So I spoke to, I guess, Max's boss in the world of Spiral. I spoke to Marisol Nichols, who plays the head of the department, the police department. Of Riverdale fame. Of Riverdale fame. Yeah, you've watched all of Riverdale, haven't you, Anna? I have. I cannot help myself. It's addictive. It's so much fun. It's so out there. And she's great in it. Well, we've got a little uh, scoop, in fact, in this conversation I had with her. She tells me which of the Riverdale cast is an enormous Saw fan. Any guesses in advance? I am going to go with Betty Cooper, who's played by Lily Reinhardt. I don't know why she's giving me Saw vibes. Let's find out if you're right. Thank you so much for speaking with Seeing Saw, the official Spiral podcast. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. So the Saw franchise, including Spiral, is obviously known for having all of these really fun set pieces with the traps. And obviously, apart from the twists and the turns and the mysteries, the traps are a big part of the appeal. What I want to know is on a scale from like the people who can sit there happily eating a bucket of barbecue ribs while someone on screen gets their spinal cord severed with a box cutter, <laughs> right the way through to people who have to cover their eyes or they're going to heave. Where do you sit, Marisol, on that scale personally? Can you watch that stuff? Uh, yeah, when I get... That's a really good question. And I can't just sit there eating popcorn and watching someone get torn apart. But I get very visceral. And instead of, like, hiding my eyes, I get more mad. Like, no, 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 come <laughs> on! Like, I get very vocal and visceral about it. So are you shouting out like, no, go over there, it's that door, all of the suggestions? No, it's more like I'll hit whatever friend I'm with. <laughs> Literally, my friends know this about me. Like if, if something's crazy or exciting or scary or freaky, I'm like, stop, 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 stop. Like I do more like that. I can't wait to get back to <laughs> cinemas so that we've got that mass experience with audiences. It's going to be so cool with this film, Spiral in particular. I'm so excited it's releasing in theatres. Obviously, the release has been delayed by global events. And I think that's fair to say that that's actually made the fan anticipation even higher. I almost want to say, can you even remember making it? At what point was it shot? How long ago is all of this for you? I know. I think it was a year and a half ago. Almost two years ago we shot this. 
in Toronto over the summer. And how was it? What was the shoot like? It was amazing. Toronto was a really great city to shoot in. The weather was perfect. Chris and Max and Sam, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, we had so much fun on set. And it was really great getting to know Chris. He's hilarious. And also to see him working in such a serious role. I had a great, great time. It was really probably one of the more comfortable and really creative sets that I've been on in a long time. It was great. Now, I watched an interview with you where you were saying <laughs> that you're terrified of heights. Yes, can't stand them. Without getting into too many spoilers, obviously, because people may hear this before they get to watch Spiral. Does Spiral tap into any particular phobias or fears of yours? I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. I can't be specific about it. But as an actor, when you're doing certain things, you're putting yourself in that situation. So putting myself in that situation, it's a, it's a little freaky. It's a little freaky, for sure. Like, I think I was on set like a super fan and taking pictures of the traps and stuff like that, which was really, really cool. But then you just wonder, like, that's got to hurt. <laughs> that's what goes through my mind. That, that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. You kind of have to put yourself in that mindset. And look, everybody likes to be scared. I love scary movies. I love horror movies. I love things that make me jump. So it was really, really fun to finally, finally be a part of one. Are you one of those people who try to guess the twist and stay ahead of the story? Or do you prefer to be surprised? Well, okay, I'll put it to you this way. I haven't seen the movie yet because I want to see it in the big theater with an audience. To me, horror mm. movies are supposed to be seen that way. It adds an extra element to it. So in that sense, I really like to be surprised. Now, just like probably anyone else with whatever show or movie you're a huge super fan in, I always have theories. I always have, no, I think so-and-so did it, and I think this, and I think that. And I think that's the fun of being an audience member is to really get into something and start creating on it for yourself. Totally. And I guess that's the other half of the Saw franchise and of Spiral is that, yes, they are horror movies, but they're also these detective mystery stories more in yes. the vein of something like Seven. Yes. That must be part of the appeal. Hugely. And that, in fact, when I read the script, I was like, wow, it reads like Seven. It completely reminded me of that movie that is one of the greatest mystery horror films of all time. It's phenomenal. People never forgot it. And this script reminded me so, so much of it, if I dare say. I love it. So Seven would be a favorite. Do you have any other favorite detective classics that Spiral reminded you of or otherwise just recommendations for our listeners? I would say, okay, so otherwise Silence of the mm. Lambs, always so brilliant. I'm also a hardcore classic where The Exorcist was the ultimate most evil movie of all time. I've probably seen it like 10 times, but a really, really, really good, scary movie to the point where I would go to sleep and leave the lights on. I love movies like that. The Ring, remember when The Ring came out? That was phenomenal. I was like, ooh, I haven't been scared like that in a while, right? I love The Ring cycle and that whole J-horror revival that happened around then. Yeah. I think I went and saw the Japanese version. Mm. That's how far down I went because I thought it was so That one, good. Hideo Nakata, yeah. I think, if I remember. I, I mean, think he so. is a good director. What's the one? I don't know if you ever saw it. I can't remember the name of it. Sarah Michelle Gellar like, redid it right around that time? or The Grudge. The Grudge. Okay, did you see the Japanese version of The Grudge? Oh, yes. <laughs> right? So good. <laughs> So, so, so good. scary. So good. I don't know what it is about people with long hair over their face. What is it about that that is so terrifying? <laughs> I know. I get out of the shower and I'm like, hey, I don't know. It was so good. But the crawling out of the TV, I mean, the whole thing, all of it. 
So good. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, that's just one of those iconic horrors. I think you're right. That's an influence on that slightly more serious type of horror that the Saw franchise represents because, of course, it was coming off, and you'll know about this, you were in Scream 2, coming off that kind of cycle of horror where things were very self-referential and full of teenagers. And then Saw comes along and makes things a little bit more serious. So in a sense, you've been in two of the great horror cycles of the last 20, 30 years. That's pretty special. Oh, I didn't even think about it that way. That's really amazing. I didn't think about that at all. That's phenomenal. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Darren, as a director, I mean, he's obviously huge in the Saw universe. Two, three, four, and now Spiral. How would you, as an actor who's worked with so many great directors, how would you characterize him as a director? Like, what kind of energy is he bringing to the table? You would think that when you're shooting very serious things, that the energy would be very serious and very dark. And it's, I've found it time and time again, it's the opposite. It's the exact opposite. So Darren was very easygoing and very this and cracking jokes and doing magic tricks and on set and just a very, creating a really great environment. And I think that is because of his prolificness within the Saw universe. He knows what he wants. So he's, you know, very much a professional in what he's doing, which allows you that room to actually have fun, which is a great place to be when you're shooting something so dark and with such high stakes. You want that. So he was great. And I have to jump back to what you said about magic tricks. Tell me about Darren's magic tricks. Oh, he loves magic. He's like a huge magic guy. (laughs) So one night we're shooting like late nights and he brought in this friend of his, I think his name is John Stessel, to do magic tricks for the cast and the crew. So it's like three in the morning and John Stessel's there. Darren's like watching him like a huge fan. And this guy's doing close-up magic tricks. I think I videoed them all that he did on me and I posted them on my Instagram. They were phenomenal. He lit a card on fire and he did this and he did that. And, and then Darren's like practicing and it just, like I said, you would think the most serious and dark and horrific and blood splattery movie and you know, we're doing magic tricks between takes. It was great. <laughs> That's so funny because I always think there's something a little bit, you know, the circus about the Saw franchise, Billy the Puppet, mm-hmm. and almost the idea of tricks and set pieces and, you yes. know, look over there, you're going to be surprised. I guess exactly. it figures. You obviously are beloved for your work on Riverdale. And that's a fairly intense fandom. But are you prepared for the Saw fandom coming your way? No, not in the least. I'm not prepared for the Saw fandom in the least. I wasn't prepared for Riverdale fandom in the least either to that point. That was incredible. But even when I got the role and it sort of got announced in the trades that I was doing the new Saw franchise film, my co-stars were total fandom, like, oh my God, you have to invite me to the premiere. You have to, I can't believe, do you get killed? Do this, are you in a trap? Like, full (laughs) on. So I'm looking forward, we'll we'll see what happens. I hope they welcome me warmly because when you do have an existing franchise, there are things that people love and there's their favorites and how certain things should be done. So I just hope to do it, you know, to do it honor. Fantastic, can you tell me like just, one person from Riverdale who's a huge Saw fan. Uh, Lily Reinhardt. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Marisol. So nice to meet you guys. Thank you. 
You got it in one, Anna. It was Lily Reinhardt, huge sore fan. I am so proud. I know my Riverdale. Charlie, I believe you also spoke to somebody who's quite keen on the Saw franchise. Who did you speak to? I did. Another Saw mega fan and one who's got intimately involved now with the franchise. It's uh, Hollywood megastar Chris Rock, who is the lead actor in Spiral and indeed the originator behind Spiral. Incredible. Let's have a listen to Charlie and Chris Rock, Saw megafan. So Chris, thank you for making time. Before we talk about Spiral, I'd like to get your take on something. Because over the last four weeks on the podcast, we've been re-watching all of the previous films in the Saw franchise. And as well as discussing them, we've also been staging a trap tournament. So a winner stays on tournament, film by film, arriving at, for us, the best trap of the series thus far. And finally, by the end, the winner of our ranking was the Saw 6 pound of flesh trap, the one where the two victims cut body parts off oh, and put yeah. on scales to try and out-disgust each other and uh, stay alive. So I wanted to see whether you think that's justice done, whether you would have any other contenders for best trap of the franchise thus far. I mean, I'm a fan of the reverse bear trap. From a classic. I like it because I could see it actually happening. It's like something I could almost see on the evening news, where the other ones kind of only exist in a movie. Yeah, that was always my preference, was the simple over the overly complex. Yeah, it's like, ooh, like, <laughs> it's like something you actually might see. And after like seven films of delayed gratification, when you finally see it go off, it's quite a satisfying reveal. It feels yes. like they've earned that over the franchise. Yeah, that's my favorite. So tell me about your history as a Saw fan. I, like many others, I'm sure, was delighted to find out that you are a, a devotee of these films when it was first announced that you'd be working on Spiral. Did you see them when they came out? Did you discover them later? I actually started on two. And that one, I don't know, I, I, went, I like two, one, and then I, I jumped around. You could kind of guess what was going on in one. And when I went to one, it wasn't like there were any revelations from that and two. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't that hard, honestly. I remember liking Wahlberg's performance. I'm like, I bet you I could do exactly what he's doing and squeeze five laughs out of this. <laughs> without disrupting the movie. That's the key. <laughs> yeah, because they're not films known for their humor, particularly. You know what I mean? So can you get the laugh without disrupting the movie? I think, I mean, it's not a horror movie, but what Eddie Murphy does it in 48 Hours. It's a pretty grimy, you know, Walter Hill movie. And every now and then he'd be funny never disrupting anything. It's almost like he invented the genre, honestly, of sneaking comedy into places you don't normally see them. You don't normally have comedy. So yeah, I don't know I, uh, I, how I got into the Saw movies. You know, it's like any good artist. If you like two Prince albums, it's like, okay, I might as well get number three. You're just on this train at this point. So I'm on the Saw train. I'm a completionist. So from the first experience, you imagined making one. You're saying that was your reaction to two. From the first experience, I imagined it. And then sometimes you just have an idea and you just put it in your back pocket. So then 20 years later, I'm face to face with the head of Lionsgate at a wedding. And I make this suggestion. 
You know, I was like, oh, Lionsgate. What does Lionsgate make? Okay. Mm, let's see. Hunger Games. Nothing in there for me. Hey, how about Saw? I got this idea that what if you put a little comedy in there? And he heard me. So that was the germ of the idea. You know what I mean? Sometimes you pitch stuff or you say something, especially in a crowded room, and people are just nodding. But uh, he actually heard me. And next thing I know, about three weeks later, there's a meeting at Lionsgate. <laughs> and they're very serious about making a Saw with a little comedy. And here we are. And obviously it's been a while since, and what's really nice about this is, I mean, it feels to me, although it's somewhat of a new approach to these films, it really has that same grimy, sore tone that some of those earlier interests in the franchise had, which I guess came partly from working with Darren Lynn Bousman. Yeah, I mean, we also talked a lot about, I wanted it to work if you never saw any of the other movies. That was important to me. I was even campaigning to bring some of the traps back a select couple. Just, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, so it was very important to make it feel like a new experience. You know, like Creed. You know what I mean? Like, technically Creed is Rocky Seven, but it kind of works if you never saw Rocky. And I guess it operates on that level where the kind of elements of the franchise that have entered just the popular consciousness. I think even people who haven't seen a single Saw film have some sense of that tone that you're talking about, the fact that there are these traps, what the killer's general modus operandi is, but not, as you say, the kind of labyrinthine plotting of exactly what Detective Mark Hoffman was up to in the middle of Saw 5. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that happened in Saw that people have taken and put in other movies. It just it works if you never saw any of the other movies. Did you always want to be in it? You weren't just dropping this idea? Because when I first read the story that you had had this idea for a new Saw film and that you wouldn't necessarily be in for the long haul, but of course here you are starring in the film and giving over a... No, no, this was always for me to be in. It was always... I mean, here's the other thing too. I, with the exception of Lethal Weapon 4, I haven't played a cop. I haven't starred as a cop in anything. And it's almost a rite of passage, especially black comic. You got... Eddie Murphy and Chris Tucker's played a cop, and Martin Lawrence played a cop, and Kevin Hart's played a cop, and Jimmy Fox has played, you know what I mean? Like, everybody plays this cop thing. So I kind of wanted to play a cop, but I wanted it to be in a different genre than everybody else. And I think I got my wish. Yeah, I mean, that is how I describe the Saw franchise to people who haven't seen any of them, is as like a hybrid horror franchise and police procedural, because yeah. the majority of them are. Yeah, it's like a bloody law and order. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you assembled quite a cast for this film, a lot of big names relative to the prior entries. But here we've got Sam Jackson, Max Minghella. How did you go about assembling your fellow cops? I took less money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about I take less money so we can get better people? How's that? A little bit of that. But... uh You'd be surprised. A lot of people are fans of Saw, man. And people jumped at it. I mean, hey, Max and Sam were definitely the first choices. But we got a lot of calls from a lot of people definitely wanted to play. This is what I love about it is that, you know, that story you were telling about the wedding, that's my experience as a longtime Saw fan, is that it's those sorts of environments you don't have much to talk about with people. It's not usually the head of Lionsgate. It'll just be some random person. But you get onto a subject like this, and when you find someone who is a fan of these films, 
it somehow feels surprising. They're so strange in some ways, but obviously they're massive. And so it only follows that there would be millions of fans out there. But it's very good to know that the Hollywood A-list is just as littered with them as uh, the London E-list. <laughs> is there a London E-list? Yeah, I'm on it. Who's on? You're on the E-list? Man. Yeah, I'm one of the hosts of Seeing Saw, the official Spiral podcast. Cool. So lastly, before I let you go, there are obviously already stories afoot about a potential Saw 10, Saw X. Could you imagine yourself continuing on in the franchise or is that for other people to take the reins? Uh, you know what? If they want me, I would love to do it. I had a ball. I love this world. I love... I just love, because right now what's happening is a lot of people are seeing the movie that would probably wouldn't have seen it otherwise. So you're getting like this fresh perspective. You're like, whoa, I had no idea. I like fresh new things. I would love to do it again. So Chris Rock, reverse bear trap fan. He's kind of gone against Jigsaw's trap race, our own ranking of the traps from previous episodes. I guess he's allowed to do that. He's, he's Chris Rock. He's allowed to do anything. He is Chris Rock. I'm very, <laughs> I'm glad that now we know what's his favorite saw trap. And to be fair to him, I did wonder whether we gave the reverse bear trap slightly short shrift because it is so iconic. It's on a poster. It's in the first film. It pops up again later throughout the franchise. And it's the demise of Jill Tuck finally happens thanks to the reverse bear trap. I think it kind of lost out in our rankings because it's just sort of always around. So it didn't have the flashy showiness of a pig vat. Uh, I'm not going to lie. In my heart, I was hoping Chris Rock would go for the pig vat. As if. Instead, we got old reliable bear trap. It's actually maybe it's mm. nice to have a callback to the, it's classic. the classic traps. It's classy and classic. I can't believe we've got to the end of our journey through the Saw films. Guys, I'm a little bit sad. Well, there's nothing to stop us just re-watching them every week in our own time from now on. I mean, obviously we're going to do that, but I won't get to talk about it with you guys. That's true. That is true. Unfortunate. We've taken on board Jigsaw's teachings. We've worked together as a team and we've avoided the pitfalls that Mark Hoffman and Amanda Young and Lawrence Gordon and Jill Tuck fell into. We haven't ended up scrapping and putting each other in traps, even though I know Charlie wanted to for that brief period where the pig vat was staying on top in trap race. Oh, Charlie week would have week. 100% thrown us into the pig vat if he could. Would you have used the pig vat in order to... There would be a delicious irony, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or are you so above the pig vat that you would refuse to use it even... Oh, it would hurt me to use it. But I think I would for the irony points. <laughs> Very fair. And thank you, Catherine, for leading us on this journey. It's been a team effort, Charlie, a team effort. And I will miss the recaps and I will miss Anna. Can you just come around and give me horror context for my life on a weekly basis? Always can do. I do this for my bestest of friends. <laughs> the just deep send, knowledge. Send you random. I will. You know what I'll miss the most? It's Catherine's patented trivia traps. Guys. If we were in a room and had to connect three clamps together to form an electrical current to open a door, I would hold hands with the two of you rather than smashing a clamp into either of your heads. That's so sweet. And of course, the biggest thanks of all to all of our listeners for coming with us on this journey through the pages of the Book of Saw. Spiral from the Book of Saw is in cinemas now.
Seeing Saw is a Little Dot Studios production for Lionsgate. The show is hosted by Catherine Bray, Anna Bogatskaya and Charlie Shackleton. It is produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel with production support from Ellie Aitkin. And we are edited by Content is Queen. Oh God, after all these years, I didn't think it would happen again, but... We're back! In Catherine's trivia trap. Yes, and I wanted to turn to the wider world of Saw, even outside of the Saw films, for this little bit of trivia. The last film that I saw pre-pandemic in cinemas was The Invisible Man, written and directed by Lee Whannell. And if you look very carefully, you can see a Billy the Puppet in the background on a wall as a piece of graffiti in The Invisible Man, which I like to think means they're taking place in the same cinematic universe. I'll be honest, this shackle is really hurting my foot at this point. Can we go now? It's the final episode. Should I let Charlie and Anna out of my trivia trap now? Nine episodes into this podcast series. No, I don't think I will. Game over. (laughs) 